Welcome to Covenant's Pulpit Ministry. Covenant Evangelical Free Church believes that the Bible is the Word of God and that God's Word is vital for life-transforming Christianity. We trust that you will grow to know the Word of God and more importantly, the God of the Word as you hear this message today. May God bless you as you open your heart to His Word. Good morning. Can you hear me? Okay, we're going to start with a, a little imaginative activity, okay? I want everybody, let's do this together. Think of something right now that you are worried about. Just one thing will do. Okay, you put it in your mind. Everybody got it? Anybody having trouble doing this activity? You've got nothing to worry about? Yeah, if you, can, if you do put your hand up, you come up and preach, and then you have something real to worry about. Okay, now, that was, I was just kidding, but with that thing that you're worried about, I want you to imagine another fictional scenario, okay? Your bank account has just received a billion dollars. Not a million dollars, but a thousand million dollars. Question, your original worry, does it still hold with a billion dollars? Now, if your original worry was something like uh, retirement adequacy, a uh, billion dollars would surely take care of that. Uh, Children's education costs, billion dollars to handle that. But maybe not if it was something else. Now, this great Babylonian king called Nebuchadnezzar, in today's terms, he had billions and billions of dollars. But he had a problem that he couldn't solve. Okay, just so we are clear, this guy was more powerful. He was far wealthier than any head of state today, any corporate titan. He was not just a king, he was a conqueror of kings. He conquered Egypt in 605 BC, flattened Jerusalem in 586 BC, and he plundered lands. And so he was wealthier than you can imagine. I mean, this guy was so rich, he built for his wife the famous hanging gardens of Babylon, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Why? Because she missed the green hills of her homeland. So, oh, so sweet. I've built you a hanging garden, right? Uh, all of us here, guys, right, we, on Valentine's Day, we will congratulate ourselves effusively if we remember that bouquet of flowers. This guy built his wife gardens with a palace thrown in for good measure. Spore market, hate him. Anyway, you think that with that much wealth and power, life must have been pretty good. Uh, but the scriptures tell us that Nebuchadnezzar was deeply vexed by a problem he couldn't solve. It was a national crisis of sorts. And so today we have entitled the sermon, When Crisis Loomed, and uh, it comes from Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. So turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. Let's develop a habit as God's people of uh, following the sermon uh, in our hard copy or soft copy Bibles. Okay? It will help the sermon to stick a lot better. When you go back home to uh, review, um, the, the points should come back. Okay? Everybody there? Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. And we're going to read this together. This is from the ESV, uh, just this first verse. Okay? Um, and you can follow the slide on the count of three. One, two, three. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Now his spirit was troubled. He was so worried he was insomniac. 
And some of us here know what insomnia feels like. This guy had the best bed in the empire. It didn't matter, he couldn't sleep. And the reason was he had dreams, nightmares. And you're like, hey, big deal, che, I also have what? Nightmares, so common. You know, my, my stress dream, I think it's, some of you may, may know this, you are going up in a lift, elevator, right? And suddenly, free fall, and you wake up with a start, right? You get this when you're, when you're stressed. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar knew that his dream was not this kind of stupid stress dream. Uh, because of this, the Babylonians believed that dreams were the way that the gods communicated with human beings. And the king, the king's dreams were especially important because kings were as close to the gods as you could possibly be. So Nebuchadnezzar knew his dream was of national significance. It was kind of like a looming crisis, but he couldn't grip on it. He was, in our words, kanjong, kanjong. And many of us know what it's like to, to be in that situation, to have a crisis on our doorstep, or to be worried and weighed down. We just lose sleep. Maybe it's relentless demands at work for some of us, or fear of losing our jobs, health problems, cancer, mental health challenges. You could be sitting here right now, smiling. Pastor Matt says, stand up and shake hands, smile, you smile, but... Deep inside, you are, you're anxious. It could be family issues, children going astray, parent who needs a lot, a lot of care. And your spirit is troubled like Nebuchadnezzar. You are weighed down. Let, let me say that it is not wrong for a Christian to face anxiety from time to time. Now, this is what I think happens to some of us. We get anxious and then we become anxious about anxiety. We hear a condemning voice in our head that goes something like, yeah, I thought you, you went IDT already. How come you're still so anxious? How come you're still so restless? Surely you are not a good Christian, not spiritual enough. And all these accusations come and of course don't help anything at all. So this morning, let me submit to us that the question is really not Will we experience anxiety? That's almost a given. The question is really, what do we do when we experience anxiety? When crisis looms, will we be restless like Nebuchadnezzar or rested like Daniel? We'll see him later in this story. Will we be restless or rested? Now in uh, Daniel chapter 2, okay, we have a uh, an interesting pen picture of Nebuchadnezzar the king. He's a very, very restless man. I know Nebuchadnezzar is not exactly one of our favorite Bible heroes. Any parents here intending to name your child Nebuchadnezzar? Show of hands. No? Ah, good thinking, right? For one, it is too difficult to spell. <laughs> but when we study the life of Nebuchadnezzar, we actually find a mirror for our own souls and shows us actually in realistic terms what happens when uh, God is not in the equation of life, when we face crisis, and crisis absent. And there are just three simple things I notice in, in reading the passage, three things in this portrait of a restless man. Now, the first thing, when Nebuchadnezzar was confronted by crisis, this is what he did. He leaned on his best 
resources. Let me read verse 2 to you. It says, Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And like, who was this motley crew? Now, they were the king's dream team, literally. Right? His experts, his religious elite. And Nebuchadnezzar summoning them is something like Prime Minister Lee Hsien Loong calling a crack team of civil servants to deal with a national problem. Now, there's nothing wrong with using the resources that God gives us um, to deal with situations and so on. And trusting God doesn't mean we sit on our hands. Everybody knows this, right? We, we, we are called to act with diligence. But the problem is really our heart condition. The problem is not that we lean on our, our resources, but that we lean on God only after our resources expire, isn't it? Only after our self-reliance has fallen over, then we start to rely on God. And Nebuchadnezzar found cracks appearing. So what he did was that after he called on his best men, he started to manipulate them to get his desired results. And where do you see this in the text? I mean, you're like, I don't see the word manipulate. But let's read carefully. So in verse 4, after Nebuchadnezzar told his experts he wanted to know what the dream meant, they responded confidently. Tell us the dream and we will interpret it. You see, these guys were highly trained technical specialists. Right? They knew exactly what to do when a, a dream comes. Right? They, they find out all the details. They consult dream manuals. They decode symbols. And then they advise the king. What does the dream mean and what do you do about it? So when we read a text like this, an ancient text, we think they anyhow whack far from it. These guys were trained experts. This was their standard operating procedure. And Nebuchadnezzar knew how dreams were meant to be interpreted. But this is a surprise in the story. He knew the SOP and he chucked it out the window. So let me uh, dramatize this part for you, okay? I'm going to try very hard to make Nebuchadnezzar an Abing. Okay, you know what an Abing is and you know Nebuchadnezzar and they're very different, but I'm just going to try to put them together, okay? So Nebuchadnezzar the Abing says to his dream team, Hey, hello, you want me to tell you my dream? You tan kuku in Hokkien, please keep on waiting. You think I'm stupid, is it? You want to just smoke me, right? Why don't you read my mind? Then I confirm, guarantee, chop. No what you are talking about. Nebuchadnezzar the Abing. Anyway, jokes aside, the point was that he was so anxious to know what his dream meant that he didn't even trust his dream team. Irony of the story. Verse 9, if you look down, just scroll down in your Bibles. Verse 9 tells us he was pretty paranoid. He believed that they were all out to cheat him. So he tried to control them and manipulate them. This is what it says in verses 5 to 6. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb. Pretty graphic there. And your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. This guy was hell-bent on getting what he wanted. He would stop at nothing. We pause. 
in our lives, when things spiral out of our control, do we also manipulate people and situations to hang on to whatever shreds of control we can? Do we do this, right, even without recognizing? Do we refuse to give up control or find it very, very difficult? Because our underlying belief is that nobody can control this situation like me. Hard question for us to ponder, right? But Nebuchadnezzar was exactly like this. And the irony is that this was the great king of a global superpower, exerting all of his might, and he couldn't get what he wanted. Frustrated. His dream team actually told him, stood up to him, to his face, said no. Yeah, some of us, we, it would take a lot for us to tell our boss no, but these guys did it, right? With fear and trembling, this is what they said. There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. It's a polite way of saying, if you read the tone in the text, you shall, my lord, you shall. Are you insane? Nobody, nobody can do this. Right? Nebuchadnezzar was the unreasonable boss to end every single unreasonable boss you've ever met in your life. And this guy, after getting the no, he exploded in destructive rage. Verse 12 says, Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. He completely loses it. And he doesn't just want to hang this bunch of useless experts who can't give him what he wants. He wants to wipe out all of his government officials, all the wise men. Think about it for a moment, right? What would have happened if this decree was actually carried out? His entire empire would have self-destructed. Now, you see, in the text today, we have this very interesting detail about the wrath of Nebuchadnezzar. The writer could have easily left it out. But since it's there, let's reflect on the issue. Now, it's one thing for us to get angry and quite another thing for us to let anger fester until we become unhinged. And sometimes our anxiety and our frustration is not dealt with upstream and we allow it to, to travel downstream until it becomes this explosive pot. We want to have things and we can't have them. We erupt in anger. We want to control. We are unable to. We want our way, but the world, the universe, our children refuse to bend to our almighty will and we erupt in fierce anger. It ruptures our relationship with God. It destroys us from within. Now, Christopher Ash and Steve Mitchley, uh, they point out in their book, The Heart of Anger. This is a, a quote I would like us to just ponder, because it's very real, I find. Uh, they say, there's something profoundly irrational about anger. The father bellows furiously for silence at the meal table because he wants a little peace. The lover yells at his beloved because he wants love and respect. The very thing they seek 
is the very thing that their anger destroys. The very thing they seek is the very thing that their anger destroys. So you see Nebuchadnezzar, he, he really was, was afraid to lose his kingdom. That's why he was so kanchong about the dream and so on. But he almost destroyed the empire himself. Ungodly anger. Men and women of God, you know, this issue of ungodly anger is not just a problem for people out there. We sometimes look at ourselves in the church and we think we are, we're pretty much okay. This anger thing is like, oh, these crazy people out there. It is a problem for us in here, in the church, people who know the Lord. And we need the Holy Spirit to help us. I know I'm probably pushing some buttons for some of you here. And if you feel that, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit prompting you. Now this anger that we have is destructive. And, and God calls us not just to deal with anger superficially. Don't just learn how to manage anger, count to ten. That's important. But we've got to get to the roots of it. Got to get to the roots of it. And I'm not saying this because I fully overcome it. I'm in a position of superiority. You know, your pastors and leaders, all of us, we struggle with sin, just like you. So allow me to be a little bit vulnerable to share an incident that I'm really not quite proud of. So I recall when my oldest son, Nathaniel, he was about four, I was working in the government, and there was this day I was very, very anxious to get to work on time. I can't quite remember why, but our morning routine is I bundle Nathaniel into the car, send him to preschool, then drive to office. And that day, parents will understand what this feels like. The harder you try to get your kid into the car and moving, the stronger the resistance. Sound familiar? Okay, or is it just me? Well, maybe it's just me, right? Uh, and that day he was particularly resistant. Um, and it got worse and worse. And so my, my car was parked in the, the driveway next to my HDB block, and the blocks are quite close. And when I really lost it, I, I hollered so loud, I felt that it was reverberating up the blocks. And I'm sure there was some auntie that stared out of her kitchen window and was like, See me, see me, what's going on there? The, the shocking thing for me was my son. You see, uh, I was so loud and so violent in that shout, he didn't even cry. He just stared at me with eyes open. And I told him, you go back home, I'm leaving without you. And he just went home. I drove off in a half. After the incident, I came back, apologized and all that, but here's the part I want to, to talk about because uh, maybe several weeks later in prayer, the Lord brought this incident back and suddenly the floodgates of tears opened and the Holy Spirit was convicting me. It's like, yeah, you know, you, you said sorry and all that, but there's something I need to deal with in your heart. There's this explosive rage that caused hurt, that destroyed. So that day, Nathaniel was four. Thankfully, uh, today, he's 13. He's enjoying Covenant East youth. He's there now. He's still a Christian, thank God. <laughs> and today, our, our father-son relationship is close. And you see, that's the way it is for us as parents, right? We, we fail and fail again, but God redeems our failures. But that day, as I look back and I, I ponder, I reflect, 
I was really profoundly, profoundly restless. It started with just simple anxiety, right? I, I need to get to work on time. And it ended with rage. I wanted to control my son. My control got frustrated, and then frustration controlled me. That's my journey of restlessness. Not just one, in, in case you thought I only got angry with him one time, uh, think again, lah. okay, I'm human like you. But let me ask you this question. What is your journey of restlessness? Where is your heart today? Are you restless? Are you angry? Church, we're in a season of prayer where, where uh, it's been shared again and again, the, the spiritual burden is about spiritual awakening. Everybody says spiritual awakening. And what God is awakening us to is not just things out there. He's awakening us to the world in here. The world in here. And if we are not awakened to what's inside, no awakening outside can really take place. Everything will be superficial. So I ask you lovingly today, and I know it's difficult to ponder this, is God putting his finger on something in your heart? Some aspect of restlessness. Maybe it's, it's control, the need to hold on to control. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's, it's anger. Maybe you're like, ah, I'm not like that Ben on the stage. You know? I don't have rage, but I got anger. Whatever it is, don't push God's finger away. And let me tell you why. Because you see, friends, God is calling us in the midst of our restlessness, in our restlessness. He doesn't wait for us to get our act together but he comes to us as we are. And he is calling us to grow, to be more rested in him. Now, some of us don't like the word rested because it's like, you know, it's like being horizontal, lying on a couch, being like a limbic dead fish, you know. But that's not what being rested is. Being rested actually just means having our soul's deepest security in an unshakable God. And so we are always confident, not because we are arrogant, but because God is unshakable. And far from making us passive, actually being rested, actually frees us to act in peaceable, in wise ways. Many of us are in positions all over, in, in working in the government, in, in the corporate sector, in, with our families, and all of us need the wisdom of Daniel. And this is what he did. So Ariok, the king's uh, captain of the guard was already executing the order, the order to execute, right? And Daniel stood up to him and replied with prudence and discretion. Now, these words are very important. Prudence and discretion. He was tactful and wise, not in a situation that was inconsequential. His entire life was on the line. The empire was on the line. And he had the composure, in fact, to ask a clarifying question. Why is the decree of the king so urgent? My guess is that he was trying to uh, calm Ariok down. Just, okay, just chill a bit, right? Let's think through this carefully. What's going on here? But this is the best part. Verse 16, he requests an audience with the king. He says, I want to get an audience with the king to tell him the interpretation of the dream. But if you follow the story, uh, at that point, he does not know the dream yet, you know. He does not know the dream, nor its interpretation. So this guy is really cool as a cucumber, isn't it? 
And maybe we are like, hey, this Daniel, right? This story, real or not? Bluff people want, how can this guy be so cool and not cave in to panic? The, the crisis is not looming for him. The crisis is on his doorstep. It's in front of him. The guy is literally wielding the, the sword in front of his face. And we're like, I can't, I can't be like that. But when we read on in Daniel chapter 2, we learn a bit of how Daniel was able to act with prudence and discretion. And this is the not-so-secret secret, that he found rest in God, in the powerhouse of prayer. The powerhouse of prayer. You see, in that place, in that powerhouse, God revealed the mystery, God delivered, God saved. Right? And I'm sorry, but you're going to have to come back next week to hear the rest of it. Uh, okay? I have to stop at verse 16 because that was my boundary. Right? So cliffhanger, too bad. Right? You have to come back. But further on, if you read down to Daniel chapter 6, and this is the famous lion's den story. Daniel was faced with another crisis, another king. It was another civilization altogether. But the same instinct happened. The same first response. He went to that secret place, the powerhouse of prayer. My friends, Daniel is our mentor today in the life of prayer. And you might ask, what did he do in this powerhouse? What do you mean? So my educated guess is that Daniel, being an exiled Jew in Babylon, would have prayed the Psalms. The Psalms were Israel's national hymn book. And God-fearing Jews then, and even today, even today if you go to Israel, right, the God-fearing Jews can recite all of the Psalms from memory. 150 Psalms. They will rock back and forth and they can recite all of them, in Hebrew, of course. And so Daniel probably did that. He probably prayed the Psalms. Today we're going to not read 150 Psalms. We're going to look at part of a Psalm. Uh, Psalm 62, verses 5 to 8. I want us to read this prayerfully now. Okay? As we uh, look at the text, we can enter into a posture of prayer even now. And so would you just follow with me the words on the screen, and we read, one, two, three. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust Him in all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to Him, for God is our refuge. The powerhouse of prayer. Now, many of us think of prayer as uh, praying off lists. You know, when in CG, when we pray, one of the things we like to ask, what's your prayer request? So we have a whole list of requests, and we mention them all, right, in our prayer somewhere. Uh, but here's an alternative to thinking about prayer. Instead of thinking of prayer as bringing a whole long laundry list of information to God, how about we see prayer as receiving God's invitation? Not about information, but God's invitation to us. Psalm 62 gives us uh, two simple ways to respond to God. Um, so we just go through them quickly. The first is that we're called to still our hearts before God. What the New International Version, NIV, translates, find rest in God, can also be translated to wait in silence. Uh, so we see this in other translations. What does it mean to wait in silence? 
before God. It's not to have an awkward silence in CG where nobody wants to pray out loud. That's not to wait in silence. To wait in silence means that we turn our inward gaze from this noisy workshop of our hearts, our concerns. And we say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to park that. I'm going to enter the, the presence of God. I'm going to stand upon who God is. That's what silence means. See, in, in this psalm, it, it talks about God being our rock, our salvation. Rock means that he's our hiding place when the enemy is breathing down our neck. Salvation means that when the flood waters rise, he's there to lift us up. So the first thing we do to still our hearts before God, the next thing that we can do, first is to still, second thing, to spill our hearts to God, to pour out our hearts like water, literally spilling out like water. And this means, in practical terms, that we don't have to self-censor when we pray to God. Um, we sometimes want to hide parts of ourselves, right? even our, our sins, and all that. we don't, don't want, even want to mention it to God. But guess what? God already is there. He's there in the, the deepest, the darkest, the dirtiest parts of our heart. He's already there. He's already there. And so when we journal, we can just pour it all out, right? Our anxiety, our anger, our depression, frustration, failure, the whole works, it can all come out. And we can release the weight of all these things to the Lord. Because God says, my son, my daughter, I want, I want to carry the weight for you. You were never meant to hold it. Allow me to take it for you. All this dirt inside your heart, you were never meant to hold it. Let me clean it for you. That's simply the invitation that God gives. So this is my little challenge for us this week, okay? Uh, we read either the whole of Psalm 62 or we have time crunch. We can just look at these uh, few verses here. But I want us to find time in the week to read it prayerfully and slowly. Okay, the emphasis is on the word slowly. Now when we, when we eat a, a fine dining meal, we eat slowly, right? We don't eat it like we eat McDonald's, right? Partly because every time you put the fork into your mouth, it's $20 down the drain, right? So you better eat slowly. When we come to God in His Word, it's better than a fine dining meal. We eat slowly. Enjoy it. Enjoy God. He's there with you in your secret place, in the powerhouse of prayer. You know, we sang just now, no eye has seen, no ear has, uh, has heard, no mind can know what God has in store. Here's the question, friends. If God has more for you, why do you settle for less? If God has more for you, why miss out on the powerhouse of prayer? Why settle for less? And this message hits us today, even if we feel more like Nebuchadnezzar than like Daniel, we feel much more restless than rested. And if that's you today, stop condemning yourself. Stop feeling anxious about your anxiety. But draw near to God. Receive His healing grace. Heed His invitation. Find rest for your soul. I'm going to invite the, the worship team up uh, as I conclude with this story. Um, of Felicia Chin. Okay. For those like me who uh, don't always follow uh, Mediacorp programming, 
Felicia was one of the seven princesses of Mediacorp in 2006. Wow, okay. And just as a complete disclaimer, Felicia is not my personal friend, okay? So all, of, all these details from the story came from Salt and Light Online. You can read it yourself. Now, Felicia first prayed to God in 2015. And of all places, she was in a toilet cubicle because she was so burdened with the worries and anxieties of being a Mediacorp star, filming schedules and all that. I mean, it's, it's hard to be so attractive and a celebrity, lah, so we have to give it to her. She called out to God in her desperation. But the question is, why did she call out to God? You see, some years ago, she was in a car with uh, her, uh, her colleagues, and uh, they were all Christians. So on the way to a filming location, they were singing, they were worshipping. And she was not a Christian, but she was there with them. And she didn't understand who is this God they're singing to. But boy, the, the, the songs sound good. She felt good. And so in this desperate hour, she remembered, hey, there's, there's a God they call out to. And she called out very simply, God, if you are real, you, can you just help me deal with all these worries and anxieties? Deal with all the panic. She got up, she went to work and Lo and behold, her mind was quiet. The anxieties were stilled. And she was like, wow, what kind of God is this that would still my anxieties? And as the weeks went on, she found more and more evidence of God working in her life. And then another actor invited her to church. Right? Actors must invite actors, teachers must invite teachers, and so on, right? So she went to church and said yes to Jesus. She said yes to Jesus. And she came to know the love of God, her Father. And that filled a hole in her heart because she lost her own father when she was 17. She found a way, God's way, from restlessness to being rested. Even before knowing this verse in Hebrews 4.1, I'm sure, she experienced its truth. And my friends, this is where I want to land for all of us. Because Hebrews 4 verse 1 says that His promise, the promise of entering His rest still stands for us today. That means for you and for me, the promise is on the table today. It's whether or not we want to take it or leave it. The rest that Christ bought for us at great cost, when we took that communion, the bread and the wine. I don't know if we realize that the, the King of glory gave His all that we might find rest in Him. The King of glory gave His all that we might find rest in Him. And we no longer have to struggle alone in our downward spiral. We can come into His rest. So here's the question. Restlessness or restedness, which will we choose? Let's pray together. I want to allow a little bit of silence for the Holy Spirit to speak to us. God is moving in all kinds of ways here. kinds of situations 
He's there with you right now. Holy Spirit is here. Don't push the finger away. But you see, my friends, surrender is hard, isn't it? You're like, Ben, I know, I know I'm supposed to release this anxiety. I know, I know the theory. But surrender is hard. If it was so easy, I would not be anxious now. Maybe that's you today. And all of us, I want us to respond together. Let's just do this together as, a, as God's people. So if you just look up for a moment, I'll, I'll show you there's a physical thing that we need to do together. I want you to take your, your hands and clench fists like this. Okay, clench fists like this and put it in front of you. And I want you to imagine the things. We started with thinking about worry. I want you to imagine the thing that you find really hard to let go of, really hard to surrender. And I want you to imagine it inside your fist right now. Inside your fist right now. And I want you to squeeze the fist hard because surrender is hard. That is really what it is. Squeeze it hard. Say, God, I'm finding it Hard, so hard, so hard, so hard to surrender to you. We bring that before God, we pour it out. We say, God, it is. If I'm honest with myself, I prefer being in control. And so surrender is hard. Holy Spirit is here. So I want us to do this next thing. Just slowly and gently open up those clenched fists. Slowly and gently uncurl your hands. And just let that thing go to the Lord. The Holy Spirit is here. He is here. No drama. He just wants to touch you. He wants to be with you now. I hear your cry. Your people are here. Our surrender is costly and it is hard. But today we hear the invitation and we want to find rest. If what you have in store for us is so much more, we don't want to settle for less. We don't want to settle. So I want to give one more chance for anybody here who you're not a Christian and all that you've heard and seen today is a little bit of a mystery to you but you want to respond to the Lord now and you want to say yes to Jesus. Anyone at all wants to respond to Jesus for the first time. You're not a Christian why you want to say yes. Anyone at all? Thank you, Lord. Shall we stand together? God's people. He wants to hide us in His wings. 
He wants to hide you in that secret place, that tower, that refuge. Will you allow Him to do that right now? Let's respond to the Lord with this song. spent some time listening to God's Word and we hope that the message has ministered to you. You can visit us at www.cefc.org.sg for more sermon titles. God bless you in your spiritual pilgrimage ahead.